0: Good afternoon! Live from Fort Street in downtown Louisville, WFPK presents our weekly live music showcase, Live Lunch. And now, from our performance studio, here's your host, Laura Shine. Thanks everybody for being here today. Well, thank you. Very nice. Um, we are so thrilled to have this artist with us that we have today. She's playing tonight at the Baumhardt Theater with Kelvin Jones. Uh, the show starts around 8 o'clock. And that's at the Kentucky Center for the Arts, Baumhart Theater. She has a new album called Kin, and it's an excellent album, as are all of her albums. This is now her sixth studio album, Grammy Awards, uh, Brit Awards, Scottish Music Awards. She's had many hits. You've, seen, you've heard a lot of her songs in film and television. So today she's on Live Lunch. Let's welcome KT Tunstall.
1: Well hello everybody Seeing as I was just having a chat to someone about the Kentucky Derby I feel like I should start off with a song about a horse For those listening, by the way, this is more of a visual thing of how this starts. I am live looping people.
2: You're not the one for me. No, 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 no. no. You're not the one for me. Not the one for me. Let me hear you.
1: so much thank you so yeah as uh, Laurel was saying I have a new record it came out in September and I'd love to play you a track from that and it's really the mission statement of this record which was an unexpected album I was going to take some time off and I'd made a very gentle folk record with my last record I'd been going through some crazy stuff my dad had passed my life was upside down and I ended up moving to Venice Beach California which made things much better (laughs) And I made this record really from driving the canyons and listening to Neil Young and Tom Petty and Fleetwood Mac and these amazing, very emotional, but very muscular pop songs. And I started writing some choruses I couldn't ignore, so I just went for it. And this one is the longest title I've ever written. It's called It Took Me So Long To Get Here But Here I Am. I couldn't work out any way of making that any shorter, so that's what it is. I'm very happy, by the way, that over there seems to be the dance floor. So if anyone wants the dance, then get yourself over there.
2: to a
0: Thank you. KT Tunstall on WFBK's Live Lunch. <laughs> Sounding great. You can also see us live right now on Facebook. Uh, WFBK's Live Lunch series is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. And thanks also to the City Cafe with Citywide Delivery for any event for providing lunch for our members today. Next week on Live Lunch, we've got some uh, Kentucky country music with Jericho Woods, and they are great. Uh, that is next week on Live Lunch. You can go to WFBK.org, see who else is coming in the next few weeks, and listen to past programs there as well. Tonight at the Baumhardt Theater, uh, KT Tunstall is playing. She Her new release is called and uh, sounding great, KT Thank just you so much So Cheers. good We're just so thrilled to have you here And I'm really glad I mean, you started out with with your first big hit That to started today's show Black Horse and the yeah. Cherry Tree That song was a life. Life changer, it game was a changer, changer. wasn't it?
1: And um, if any of you haven't seen looping before, it's a really very simple gadget that what I play gets recorded, and then you have to basically tap dance your way through the rest of the song, <laughs> making sure you're tapping in time; otherwise, it sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, the but yeah, so that was yeah. a huge part of it. Really, was was the visual aspect of it that people could see what I was doing. and I think a lot of people hadn't seen that before.
0: At the time when you recorded, it, you exactly. Mean? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and and its first appearance, the song was on the uh, Jules Holland show. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, w- you had been in bands prior to that. You'd been, you know, going for it and trying, yeah. and then that yeah, happened for ten years. For ten then. years yeah. prior to yeah. that, to two thousand four, yeah. and then so then what happened after that? After the appearance of that song,
1: well, it was really funny because I was playing this Jules Holland show and I was doing something <laughs> that I'd been doing in coffee shops for. A few year, maybe a couple of years because I basically got the looper after I'd recorded the record because I really wanted that rhythm that's in my music and I'd recorded the album with other instruments and I just was feeling like Phoebe from Friends with this guitar and I just <laughs> had to have something else going on and so a friend of mine had a loop pedal and I got going and I probably was using it for around a year before the Jules Holland thing came up and the, re- the record had been made and um, I got a very last minute call to do Jules Holland and uh, someone else had dropped out and I of course jumped at the chance and I'm on with Anita Baker, Jackson Brown and The Cure. Oh my gosh. I mean wow. it was just <laughs> it's the first time I'd ever been on television. Wow. Yeah. I was and because it I'm so glad it was last minute because I didn't have time really to get nervous about it and I'd been doing this myself and setting it up myself in little bars and coffee shops so I wasn't I mean, I was a little nervous for the TV, but I knew what I was doing. And the reaction was insane. I mean, people seemed completely just delighted by how I was making my song. And really, that song was born from learning how to use this. It was it was me thinking, well, maybe I could, if I hit my guitar, maybe that'll make a beat. And then I wonder if there's a song I could sing. Because you can't take anything out. Once it's in, it's in. So if you yell a curse word, it's going to go through the whole song. <laughs> um, so it was also... You know, thinking about the audience's enjoyment because I think is a really fine line with what with this setup that it can be quite boring and self indulgent. You yeah. have to you have to find the balance between something that's enjoyable. But you think about the woohoos hoo's are going all the way through the song. Is that going to get annoying? Some people would say yes, <laughs> but you know we don't listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a song that really worked, and uh, and it just was um, it just catapulted me into a whole new stratosphere. And actually. The, the funny story about that was that Black Horse wasn't on the record. I'd written it after the record was finished. Really? Under I, I was, the telescope? Yeah. Okay. And I, was, I got this opportunity to go on the show, and my label boss had heard this song, and I was expecting to put it on the next album, and I got this TV opportunity, and I was like, well, what do I play? And he was like, play the horse song. <laughs> the woo one. And I was like, but it's not on the record. He said, trust me, just play it. And so actually the first 10,000 copies... Of Eye to the telescope have the audio from Jules Holland because we didn't Good. have it recorded. Wow!
0: So uh, yeah, if you have if you have one of those copies, it's rare. Yeah. So it became a hit in the UK. It did, yeah. And it didn't make its way to the states for a little while longer. Maybe
1: for around the best part of a year,
0: actually. Right. Um, and then the weirdest
1: ironic <laughs> thing happened here, where Catherine McPhee very kindly decided to sing it in the final of. American Idol and I had spent all my time in interviews telling everyone how much I hated that show (laughs) and uh and of course, I had to eat humble pie because it was an amazing thing to happen. And my my song went into the iTunes charts. And But the one thing I will say about it, I know it's great TV and it's fun to watch. And I don't have a problem with that. It's just that the TV companies have a lot more money than the record labels. And so it's very easy for the TV companies to flood the only platform that musicians have um, with with kind of karaoke acts, which is really, makes it very difficult for new artists. Um, But what I loved about Catherine McPhee doing my song, firstly, because it was my song, secondly, no one knew it. Mm -hmm. It was a very unknown song. It was quite a brave thing for her to do because usually you'd be doing Like a Virgin by Madonna and everyone would be like, yeah, I love that song, let's vote for her. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, this was an unknown song and so it was quite a bold move and I'm sure that no one on the show had told her to do that and I like that about it.
0: Right, plus um, it, climbed the charts really quickly it, it like started i think or it was like around 73 and went to 23 mm-hmm. um which is a huge leap mm-hmm. uh so it just kind of shot up overnight and then everybody's like who's katie tunstall and <laughs> and you know the rest is history so if you don't play that song at a show is there like a riot have you ever tried yeah, the that? door <laughs> is basically locked until i <laughs> play that and then i can leave right
1: well you have but, had, I, but have it but with on that subject i'm so glad i became famous with a really fun song Maybe yeah. so, I mean imagine how Sinead O'Connor felt doing nothing compares to you. And she got to sing at
0: every single gig. It's like she's crying every single gig. <laughs> good point. Good point. Um so this this new album Kin this is the sixth studio album. Um uh you talked a little bit about before you did that last song you talked a little bit about how you really weren't planning on making a record. Yeah. You were burned out. I take I it. I felt totally burnt out. I think mm-hmm. it's it's a really 24/7
1: life you can't do it you can't you can't take down time while you're making while you're promoting an album it's absolutely all-encompassing and so you kind of have to ready yourself for that assault of work and I just didn't feel excited by it and you can't really sacrifice your friends and family and your home life unless you you, you feel that you can do it and otherwise you just end up really unhappy. Yeah. And and I guess that had sort of happened to me back in London. Um, and I'd had a quite an, quite an epiphany that I really realised that I was very defined by this music. It was all I'd done since I was 15. Wow. Um, and I just didn't know myself very well. I knew myself very well as a musician and I'd become very mature as a musician. But I think I was pretty much still a 15-year-old
0: mm-hmm. in
1: terms of my personal life. I hadn't really spent much time on me and 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 i'd always wanted this 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 life as a musician but of course your needs and wants will change as you get older and i think i i achieved that success i was like and it's very weird i mean you it's hard to say it without sounding totally um ungrateful but when you achieve a dream that you've had it's quite discombobulating because that dream's been driving you and when you achieve it you're like oh well the drive's gone, and maybe there's something else I want to do. And that's how I felt. And uh, I'd always wanted to write for film, and I moved to L.A., and it was a really natural progression to into scoring and film work.
0: So that's what you did then? You were... I
1: did for about a year and a half, yeah. Okay. And then um, what happened? And then I... Um, As I said earlier, I just started, California just started seeping into my blood. I actually lived there for a year when I was four years old. My dad was a physicist and had a sabbatical at UCLA. And so I was a valley girl for a year (laughs) when I was four. And I think there was an imprint on me uh, in terms of my relationship with California where I really fell for it and it feels very familiar. And, um, And I just found a sanctuary there um London's a fast-paced place and it wasn't suiting me and um I think that that time to think and that space to think and also really cutting the umbilical cord between having to make records otherwise who are you you know I didn't want to be in you know what if I was in an accident where something happened to my hands or my voice do I know who I am without these things mm-hmm. and I didn't think that was healthy it didn't feel like the right the right balance <laughs> mm-hmm. so I just had a really great and sometimes very difficult, self-reflective few years of, of, uh, of just getting to know myself again. And, um, and then the choruses just started coming as I was listening to this great American and Canadian, actually, music that was made in California. Um, and, uh, I couldn't ignore it because if it was my, my my last album before this one was a folk record. Um, and I think if I'd been writing material similar to that, I would have just banked it and carry on carried on with what I was doing. But mm. this new stuff felt like the the real spiritual follow-up to the first record it fe- mm. it feels in many ways like my second album and it's not to bad my the others at all i'm really proud of them but it just it does feel a little bit like it took me three records to make my second record <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe yeah because yeah. you, you know you're changing you
1: i think it's so about you know. being carefree again mm. it's about coming at it with no agenda no pressure not worrying about what radio wants or what what you know your fans want even it's just really making stuff that that pleases you and that's that's how it translates the best it's the on, most honest place for it to come to Absolutely. come from sorry
0: yeah well the new album's called kin again kt tunstall is our guest here on wfbk's live lunch she plays tonight at the bomb theater let's hear a couple more songs yeah well i'd love to to play you
1: something from that last album which which began a not
0: only a personal
1: journey but a great relationship with the American desert and landscape. And I went down to Tucson, Arizona to make this record. And this was uh, written right in the middle of some difficult stuff. So anyone having a difficult time at the moment, this is definitely for you.
2: rain been falling on me I've been covered in cold I've been shrouded in doubt My heart is on a wire Sitting pretty like a bird But the hunter is out And the eagle is turned I feel feel it all. I'll look into the sky, and I'll be listening to the stars, maybe thinking of you, and wondering where you are. And do you know what you've done for me? You made my branches grow. Now they can play with the wind They can carry the snow And they can feel What you want Leave what you don't need And I'll go looking for you Keep your eye out for me Cause I hearts are on the wire
1: Thank you. So I'll play, now I'll play you a song from my actual second record, so not to, di- not to diss my second record at all. Um, and this one is going to feature something very exciting that I think you're going to be pretty blown away by. And that's my quite bad beatboxing. It's really quite bad. I think you're going to be amazed. Here we go.
2: Don't take a trick off the light to it the change is coming I'm mm-hmm.
0: Still on WFBK's live lunch, and she plays tonight at the Bombard Theater. We're going to talk with KT just to, just a little bit more. Um, uh, KT, you were talking about, you know, music is what you've always done. What else would you do? Um, you talked about maybe writing for film, but I understand you also have a pretty strong uh, interest in environmental issues. Yeah. And science too, right? Yeah,
1: vicariously, definitely through my dad. I like to think that I knew anything about physics, but I didn't.
0: It was just he did. <laughs> did you ever go to work with him at all?
1: I didn't, but he, well, he would take take me and my brothers to the lab all the time. So I think that's partly why this all appeals as well. It was just all these machines with lights and dials. And he would be like, you shouldn't touch that. <laughs> <laughs> Radiation and stuff. <laughs> um, so it. It was definitely I, I, there was an amazing experience when I was young, where my mum didn't know about this until a few years ago. Where my dad, I, I don't know if you know this, but physicists tend to be slightly reckless. <laughs> I um, did not know this. They're kind of the rock stars <laughs> of the science world, it seems. And uh, th- my dad would the, the the liquid nitrogen came on these big canisters, and uh, he would take the canister off, and they were on these little. To triangle trolleys because they're so heavy he'd put I was about four three or four and he'd put my my, me and my big brother on the trolley and there was these linoleum floor corridors and we were in there at night so the lighting was really low and then he'd he'd push us and he'd go don't touch the floor <laughs> oh and he'd slowly push the trolley and then he'd slush liquid nitrogen down the hallway and it was just like this it was like being in a 1980s Duran Duran video it was absolutely amazing like dry ice and you could see all these crazy bubbles and obviously we would probably have had a terrible accident had we but we never fell off (laughs) my dad you you know my dad did the probability you know he (laughs) scared us enough that we were careful the graph worked and it was fine
0: so the t- even the title to the album "I to the Telescope" was a nod to him, right? Yeah, uh, he used
1: to also take us to the observatory uh, at St. Andrew's University in Scotland, where we grew up. So I remember being sort of seven or eight years old and being taken out of bed in the night, in the middle of the night, and taken to the observatory to see Halley's Comet. Wow! And uh, I just it was it just blew my mind at that age. Just your your you know your your world is so small when you're a kid, and just to suddenly be shown a viewfinder of something completely otherworldly and seeing the rings of Saturn and it, it really was, a, 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 I definitely got into sci-fi, that's for sure, after that.
0: Wasn't there an astronaut who uh, I was playing your song recently in space? Yeah, so Tim
1: Peake <laughs> uh, went up to the International Space Station and he's on Twitter up there. <laughs> so he was doing this song of the day and, uh, and yeah, he played other side of the world. Um, from That's space, okay. which was just a huge, a huge honor. I guess
0: it's hard to imagine. Yeah, um, you, um, your mom was a teacher. Yes, she I- was, is, and and your dad was a scientist. But neither one of them very musical. I take it. No, they also were not really that
1: into music. So we didn't have a music collection, or ne- we had a cassette player but my dad listened to, like, Tom Lehrer, who's a brilliant satirist, from mathematician from Harvard, who kind of does this... Um, uh, who's the HMS Pinafore guy's... Um, Gilbert and, Gilbert and Sullivan sort of style. Brilliant. And he wrote the Table of Elements song. And, but, you know, that was kind of more like listening to a comedy <laughs> tape than right. exactly. You know, it's not like I kind of grew off on, on Marvin Gaye. Um, <laughs> uh, I really liked the B-side to the Chariots of Fire soundtrack. That was good. That was another tape in the house. But I didn't actually start listening to music till I was about 15. Oh, wow.
0: yeah, and who was it that you listened to you were like- Well, it was
1: cool because I got everything at once because I, my friends either were not massively into listening to music and it 's weird because there was a couple of bands in the year, but the years above me at my high school who went on to be very successful, and they were a really they were really into bands and going to gigs, but I think it 's just each class is slightly different in character and um, so I think the first thing I saw on TV that, re- I mean, I liked Wham and I liked Madonna and I liked Lamal and all that. And Whitney Houston, there was amazing songs, you know, watching Top of the Pops and watching what's in the charts. There was some Duran Duran, as I said before, just great mm. music, but I wasn't really, I, it didn't make me want to be a musician. And then I my dad got uh, a satellite dish when I was 15 and suddenly the war began between the uh, sports channel and mtv <laughs> and i saw the video for loser by beck and that was life-changing it just i'd never heard anything like that and i was like whoa i want to make music like that and uh fool's gold by the stone roses also came out around the same time and it just sounded like tomboy music you know as a girl it was like this you don't have to be this kind of shiny pop star and i didn't really have any role models that were i mean there were kim wilde was doing it a little but it was still quite pop you know Mm -hmm. and i i just wanted to that's what spoke to me that stuff and then it just came pouring in i just got into the rolling stones and muddy waters and tom waits and pj harvey and flaming lips and i mean nina simone all all different genres and all artists came at once and what was your first instrument my first instrument was piano from the age of four Mm -hmm. um and I just, my teacher at kindergarten was a piano player and I just loved this massive machine that she would play and begged my folks for one. So I got a lovely secondhand piano. And I was a complete prodigy, by the way, when I started. I was amazed. I was like Mozart. <laughs> and then it was a very, very kind of steady... Decline. Oh no! <laughs> towards guitar when I was around fifteen, and yeah, uh, yeah I never mastered the piano. It was—it's a very—it's. I think it's you've got to have something innate to really get your way around that.
0: Yeah. Well, you, but you do have something innate going on. I mean, you know, you're very extremely well, musical. rhythm. I and think. Rhythm yeah, is a rhythm big part. has been
1: always been a mm-hmm. really important factor, as as important I think as melody and lyrics for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Except the pianos just aren't as um, mobile. As a guitar. It's very true. You can't fit
1: your piano in the overheads on a flight from L.A. to Ohio, I'll tell you that.
0: Well, back to the, uh, just to the, we were talking about science and your, and your interest in environmental issues. I read where you received an honorary doctorate mm. from Royal Holloway University of London. Yeah, for your, it was wonderful. For your work in music. Which around. is where I studied. Okay. Um, yeah.
1: And yeah, I'd, I'd become very involved in my early years. It's funny because you're also kind of guided a little bit by your PR and by your record company because the interviewing can get so overwhelming. Um, and the really funny thing is when, you, when you're first starting out, all people want to know is the bad stuff. They're like, how hard was it making this record? Yeah. Do, you find, do you find that you feel depressed sometimes when you're alone? <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like, no. But you end up like 80% of your chat with these interviews where it was quite negative. And so you're starting to like get a complex about something that you didn't really feel. And you're being asked questions that you have never even thought of and you're answering on the spot. Mm. And so they said, you know, sometimes it's good to choose something that you're passionate about and bring it into your mix as something as an as an extra thing. And it was something I was very, very passionate about. And um and it was a it was definitely a baptism of fire. It's a really difficult subject to be a champion for when you're a public figure traveling a lot. Because they haven't made a green plane yet. So yeah. there's no way that I can do my job really in a particularly eco-friendly way. So it was definitely fraught with some difficulty because there weren't solutions, which of course I would be using if there were. Um and I, I remember Tom York from Radiohead saying that they were they were considering stopping touring because of the carbon footprint and but you have to just weigh it up and say, This is the world we live in, this is what's available to us. And at the end of the day, a gig is a place where people are open to new ideas and and actually is a it's a very positive space for the world at large to have people come together and enjoy themselves and and maybe think new things and, and imagine new things for themselves. And so I think the gig itself is is an important space as well for, for progressive thinking.
0: And you bring people a lot of joy. And I yeah, think I think that's very meaningful. It's and the the
1: be, the absolutely mm, best part of my job yeah. is seeing people smile and feel good and feel something, you know, with with what I'm doing.
0: Well, speaking of that, she's playing tonight at the uh, Baumhart Theatre at the Kentucky Center for the Arts. Her new album is called Kin. Katie Tunstall, thanks again for being here and uh, we would love to hear some more from you. Katie Tunstall, everybody. Thank you.
1: Here's another new one for you. Thank you. So, I feel like, um, so being a songwriter is a little bit like being a juicer, where you put things out and something else comes out. And you put things in it, something else comes out and you just hope it's not brown. <laughs> so this is what happened when I was listening to Bo Diddley and Patti Smith on the same day.
0: WFPK's Live Lunch, playing tonight at the Baumhart Theater. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to WFPK Independent Louisville's Live Lunch, made possible by our contributing listeners. Andy High is our recording engineer. Kojin Toshiro runs the house sound. WFPK's Live Lunch is produced by Stacey Owen.